Hello, my dear friends, and we are back again for another great episode of the Practical Parsha podcast. This is Rabbi Shlomo Kohn. I hope you are well. This week is an extra exciting week. It's a double Parsha, Vayakal Pekude. That means two Parshas are read in Shul the Shabbos. Additionally, it's Shabbos Chazak, where we're completing the second book of the Torah. We're completing Exodus. And next week, God willing, we will begin the book of Vayikra of Leviticus. And thirdly, this week has a special Torah reading added on during the Mafter portion of the Torah laning, which is Parshas HaChodesh, which is a special reading we read before Rosh Chodesh Nisan, before the new month of Nisan. So it is a triple header this week, very exciting. And I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening, for taking time out of your week to listen to the Practical Parsha podcast. I hope you enjoy it. And please, if you'd enjoy this, if you could share it with your friends and also send me an email. Tell me what you think. Introduce yourself. If you think I bite, I don't bite. If you think I'm scary, I'm not so scary. So send me an email at K at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. This week's Parsha, as I mentioned, is Vayakel and Pekude, two Parshios. So in some years, it's read separately, one for each of the weeks. But this year, it's going to be read together. And just to give a quick overview of the Parshios, Vayakel deals with the building of the Mishkan. We're continuing on this idea of building the Mishkan. It's telling us how the Mishkan was built, the actual construction, who took care of the construction, B'Tzalel, was the grandson, the great-grandson of Miriam. And the Torah tells us how he's tasked with actually seeing through the construction to be the foreman. The Torah gives us a clear picture of how all the different parts of the Mishkan of the tabernacle were built and how it was done. Additionally, the Parsha also describes to us part of the, the offering, some of the services of the Mishkan as well. Parsha's Pekude talks about the actual final counting, sort of like a audit that the Torah is giving to all the money that was donated towards the Mishkan, telling us exactly how much material was used, how much gold, how much silver, how much of all the different materials that went into the complete construction of the Mishkan. The first idea I wanted to share with you today is in the beginning of Parshas V'yakel, the Torah, before it begins with the instructions of the Mishkan, of the how to build the tabernacle, Moshe Rabbeinu gives a commandment to the Jewish people to keep Shabbos, to observe the Sabbath. And it's the Torah, the Parsha, devotes an entire paragraph to the prohibition of transgressing the Shabbos and keeping the Shabbos. And the commentaries ask, what's the connection between observing Shabbos and building the Mishkan, building the tabernacle? You know, the rest of this Parsha doesn't seemingly have to do with, the, with keeping Shabbos. We're talking about building the Mishkan. And really the prior Parshios in last week's Torah portion and the Torah portion before that, there wasn't any mention about Shabbos. So what's the connection here specifically that this Parsha, Vayakel, begins with the commandment to keep Shabbos? And Rashi explains to the, the answer to this question. Is, he says as follows, as Hikdim lohem azor Shabbos, that Hashem told Moshe to proceed to them the warning of Shabbos, 
He was teaching the Jewish people that even the building of the Mishkan, which was a great mitzvah, which, you know, is the last three, four weeks of the Torah portions, is telling us how to build the Mishkan. And we talked about how it's a dwelling place for God and how the Shekhinah rested. But still, even with this big, huge mitzvah, the Moshe Rabbeinu was telling the Jewish people that even so, you can't transgress the Shabbos to build the Mishkan. That no matter what, it doesn't push off Shabbos. There's a very important idea which we see from this Rashi and the fact that this prohibition, this commandment of Shabbos is placed right here before the building of the Mishkan. This idea that we don't push off Shabbos, even for a mitzvah, gives us an insight into something very fundamental in the human psyche. You know, we all have a Yetzirah, we have an evil inclination and a Yetzirah Tov and a good inclination. And many times the things we do, the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, the guy inside of us that tells us to not do things, sometimes he's very, very religious. He's very observant. He, you know, he, if you would picture him in your mind, the Yetzirah, he might look like the most you know, observant and religious person you could think of in your imagination, right? Maybe a long beard, a big hat, long coat. He's very observant. And you're probably thinking to yourself, what do I mean? What does it mean that the evil inclination is very from, is very religious? How does that make any sense? And the answer to that is that many times the, the, the things that we do, the things that we're supposed to do, right? The Yetzirah gets us not to do it by making us be very righteous, by trying to convince us that it's a mitzvah to not wake up for the, for the morning service, to, not, to miss shacharis. If, you, if you're going to wake up so early, you're going to be grumpy and you're going to scream at your wife. So it's better that you should sleep late. It's a bigger mitzvah to sleep late. Or it'll tell us it's probably too dangerous for you to, to go outside, to go to synagogue. You know, it's safer for you to stay home. And obviously, we rationalize appropriately sometimes, but many times the Yitzhara, the evil inclination, makes us gets us to be very religious, use this psyche, rationalizations of why we do or why we do not do things. And really just to take this step up, one, to take this one step further, the, the Talmud tells us that if a person does a mitzvah, but the way he does that mitzvah, the way he does that good deed is through an Avera, he doesn't get the reward of that mitzvah. And um, the, the Talmud as well brings down that if a person steals, makes, he steals flour, and makes bread from that flour, and then makes a blessing over that bread. It's as if he's, you know, making a he's blaspheming God. It's it's not looked at as a good thing. When we have this intention to do good, we want to do good things. We want to accomplish good, and we want to do mitzvahs. That's what a person naturally has an inclination to do, to to achieve, to strive for. But many times, in that zeal and that zest of wanting to do something good, will push away any, you know concern that we might have and any reservation and just try to do it, right? We could just, we'll transgress the Torah in order to fulfill the Torah. It doesn't make sense. We can't do that. That what Hashem expects from us is not to just do the mitzvot for ourselves, for our own benefit. We have to do it in the way that he prescribed for us to do. So if he told us we can only do a mitzvah in this circumstance, then that's the way we have to do the mitzvah. If he tells us, you know, this is how we should do X, Y, and Z, so we only could fulfill it in that way. It's not beneficial for us to try to beat the system, to try to get close to Hashem through actually breaking the halachos, through breaking. Just to bring this out with a beautiful um, parable, 
Vachanan Wasserman explains on, this, on these verses that there once was a king and he told his most trusted servant, please go and fulfill this specific mission to me. I need you to, to do this mission to go to this other foreign king for me. And he told him, he says, I'm, I'm sending you because I trust you the most, but I have one request for you. Whatever you do, do not get yourself into a wager with this foreign king. Whatever you do, just fulfill my mission, come back, and don't make a bet with this king. That's it. So this trusted advisor goes to this foreign leader, and he does the mission that the king asks of him. But when he's there, this foreign leader tells him, he says, I've never seen anybody that has such a hunchback like you, who's so bent over. You know, I've never seen anyone like you. And the the messenger is like perplexed. You know, I'm not hunchbacked. I don't know what you're talking about. And this foreign king says to him again, no, 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 you're extremely hunchbacked. You are so hunchbacked. I've never seen this in my life. And he tells him, he says, if you're not a hunchback, prove it to us. I'll make you a bet a million dollars that you're a hunchback. Just take off your shirt and show us and we'll know for sure. So this man, even though he remembered what the king had told him, that don't make a bet, he thought to himself, surely the king would want me to take this bet to make such easy money for him? A million dollars? Of course I'm not a hunchback. This is, such a, this is free money. Of course he would be agreeable for me to do this. And the advisor takes off his shirt, takes off his coat, shows this king that he's not a hunchback and wins the million dollars. When he goes back to the king, he was, he's expecting the king to be so happy with him and so you know, impressed with him because he just got from him a million dollars, but he sees it's not that way. He sees the king is very, very upset with him. And he says to him, he's like, why, why are you upset with me? I just won you a million dollars. He says, you might have won a million dollars, but you just lost me $10 million because I had a wager with this king that he wouldn't be able to get you to take your shirt off and you lost the wager. So even though you, you got a million dollars for yourself, you caused me to lose 10 million. And that's, this idea is represented in the parsha as well because we might have good intentions with what we want to accomplish with mitzvot, doing things our way to try to, you know, transgressing to, to perform a mitzvah. But really, we have to go according to what the king of kings wants. And we have to do his will, not our will. And that's something which we see from the juxtaposition of these two chapters or these two verses or these two paragraphs in this week's Parsha. A second idea I wanted to share with you today is that when the Torah tells us of all the material and the gold and silver and the gems that were brought for the construction of the Mishkan, it's very interesting. The the verse says, in the Pasuk it says, tells us about the Nesim, that the leaders, they brought this, these Shoham stones and the Avni Meluim, which were these, um, the settings for the, for the Choshen, for the breastplate, and the, for the Ephod. And if you look at the word Bahan Nesim, which is translated as the leaders, there's a Yud which is missing. It's supposed to be spelled with a yud in there. And now when the Torah lists their name, there is a missing yud. And the commentaries tell us that the reason why the yud is missing is because of the mistake that the Nesim made when it came to the donations of the Mishkan. The commentaries explain, it's brought down, that 
when Moshe Rabbeinu told the people about the donations for the Mishkan, what was going to be needed, the Nesim right away stepped up and offered to, to donate all the money necessary for the construction of the tabernacle, for the building of the Mishkan. Moshe Rabbeinu telling them that Hashem had commanded that all the people should be part of the process of the Mishkan, told him that he couldn't do that. So the Nesim said that let the people donate whatever they want to donate, and what's not filled in, what's not completed, if there's, what's left over, we will complete. They didn't expect that the Jewish people would have such a zest and such a zeal to do this mitzvah of, of building the Mishkan, that they would fill up everything within two days and nothing would be left. And the Nesim, they felt bad. And the only thing that they could donate was these Shoham stones and the stones for the ephod, for the, the stones for the Choshen, the breastplate. And the, they're criticized. The Nesim, the leaders, are criticized for their lack of zeal, their lack of alarcity, their lack of zrizos in the performance of a mitzvah. And even though they had proper intentions, they had good intentions, they wanted to wait to see what's left to do it, they still... Um, seems like the fact that there was some laziness attributed to the to this act, a yud was taken out of their name when their name is listed over here in Parshas Vayakel. Later on, um, in Parshas Naso, when we're talking about the inauguration of the Mishkan, they made up for their mistake by being one of the first ones to offer sacrifices for the inauguration of the tabernacle. And the Torah over there lists each Nasi, in specific detail, each one gets a paragraph of what they brought and how they brought, giving them great honor and great kavod to their act of what they did then. But over here, we seem to say that they're criticized for their lack of wanting to donate right away. And the sages take out a very important lesson that comes from, that we can learn from the Nasim. That number one, we see from the fact that the contrast, that when the Nesim were the last ones to give, they didn't give as fast as everyone else did. And from later on, where they gave, they're one of the first of everybody to give their carbonos, to give their sacrifices. The contrast of how the Torah over here takes away a, a letter from their name. And over there, later on in Parshas Naso, we give a, a paragraph to each one of the Nesim, to each one of the leaders. We see how special it is to Hashem that when the Jewish people are involved in something good, when they're involved in doing a mitzvah, to be part of it, to join in and to not wait around until we lose the opportunity. And the idea that's expressed in the, in the Talmud is that mitzvah habal yodcha al that a mitzvah that comes to your hand, al don't let it become chametz. And the sages use that, they derive from the verse, they change around the actual pronunciation of the wording of the verse. When the Torah says, Shamares HaMatzais, the Talmud tells us, Al-Tikri Matzais Ela Mitzvais. Watch your mitzvais. And then the teaching is, like I said, that mitzvah haba liyadcha, that a mitzvah, good deed that comes to your hand, Al-Tach Do not let it become chamit. Rabbi Yerucham Levavitz explains on this verse that from here we see that when we are convinced of not doing something or delaying to do a mitzvah, to do something spiritual, we have to check extra well within ourselves if the cause, the reason of why we're not doing it is because of laziness. And it's something we need to be very careful of, this trait 
of laziness, this trait of not doing it. Because we see by the Nisim, the leaders, that even though their intentions were good, there was a drop of laziness in what they're in their intentions. And therefore, they, we don't look at them positively because of that. And we see that there's many great stories where sages were not sh- sure were not sure of what their true intention was of doing something or not doing something. And they would go back and forth. The one story which comes to mind is the is a famous story of the Altar of Navardic. The Altar of Navardic was a great master of Musar. And many times, everything he would do, he would have exact calculation of why he was doing it and, or why he was not doing it. And it's brought down, he had a difficulty deciding whether or not he should go to the study hall to learn Torah or go somewhere else. And that's a valid question that we could all have. Maybe we shouldn't be studying because we need to do other things which are important as well. But he wasn't sure if it was because of laziness that he wasn't going to the study hall. So therefore, he decided in order to answer his question, he walked to the study hall, went to the doorstep, and then did what he needed to do. He wanted to make sure that there was no trace of laziness in his character, in his attitude, before he didn't do something. And just to really um, follow through this idea on a different level, Rebruven Grzovsky explains that when it comes to a mitzvah, the reason why we do a mitzvah is not because of the product or the action that it creates, but rather the, and obviously we want the action that it creates. We want that to happen, but that's not the main purpose of it. The, the main purpose of a mitzvah is to refine our character traits and to draw us closer to Hashem, to bring us nearer to God. The Nesim failed to realize this when they didn't grab the opportunity to, to donate to the Mishkan, to the tabernacle, right away. They thought that the purpose was here t- was to create the Mishkan. That to have a completion. Oh, so they say, okay, we can complete it. We could finish what's left. They didn't realize that the main opportunity of the mitzvah is what the act itself does to us, how it makes us a better person, how it gets us closer to Hashem. And this is something which we need to focus on a lot of times also because mitzvahs is not us just doing for Hashem, it's not just us doing for God, doing God a favor, but it's really us doing, we're doing the will of God, that's number one, but as well, besides doing the will of Hashem, we're also developing ourselves. We're, you know, we're getting closer to Hashem ourselves. We're causing ourselves to become better people, to become more refined people, to, you know, to improve ourselves all around. So it's just an outlook when it comes to mitzvahs. Obviously, we want the outcome of whatever the mitzvah is, you know, whatever the mitzvah does. But, uh, but, a main benefit of doing mitzvahs is what the mitzvah does for us. And that's something which we need to think about. So that's going to finish for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed. If you have any questions, comments, or would like to reach out, please feel free to send me an email at rabbishlomokom with a K at gmail.com. Have a great day.